The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Michael Kist, Benjamin Solak. It's the Kist and Solak Show, presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Flying high on the Kissed and Solak Show, episode 57, brought to you by the fine folks at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. As always, joined by the best doggone squirrely co-host in the game, Mr. Eight-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben, sorry about that, brother. How you doing? <laughs> That wasn't that wasn't necessary, and I don't accept your apology. And we're enemies for the next five, possibly ten minutes. Okay. Depends on how I feel. Ben always puts these time limits on me when I do something to him. Like if I don't tell him that the all twenty two has dropped, we are enemies for the next what hour? I think it's usually hour. We are enemies for however long it has been since the all twenty two dropped, and you knew about it, and then finally decided to tell me like an hour later. So when you wait a whole hour to tell me that it's dropped, which I desperately need to watch in order to record the podcast on time, we're enemies for a full hour. Yeah, that's fair. Of course, when we become enemies, nothing really changes. It's just a state of being. <laughs> we're just more aggressive, more aggressive-aggressive to each other, not even passive-aggressive. Typically not, because like then we're like actually having a conversation. We usually start talking about football stuff, and we're fine. We're usual, like we are, whatever. But in spirit, we're enemies. All right, so today, we're going to be flipping sides of the ball. Last time... We did the preview for the Houston Texans defense against the Philadelphia Mm -hmm. Eagles offense. Today, we're flipping sides. We'll be doing the Eagles offense. We'll be doing the Eagles defense against this Houston Texans defense. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) You better keep all this in because this is is amazing. (laughs) We're going to be doing. We're going to be doing the Eagles defense against the Houston Texans offense. Nailed it. First take. No problem. So, Are you sure? (laughs) So, before we do that, obviously some house cleaning to do. We've got the injury report to get to. We're recording on Thursday. 
We're recording on Friday morning. Dude. Podcasting is tough. We This has been an amazing open so far. <laughs> this is illustrious. Listen, no wonder so many famous people listen to our podcast because it is so clean and concise and well-organized. This is the biggest problem I've had starting a show in a very long time. Look, okay, Philadelphia Eagles injury report. I think the main ones here, other than the ones that already were noted on BGN Radio and our, and our show before, is that Fletcher Cox has moved from limited participation with his hip to did not participate in the Thursday practice, <sighs> which could be some trouble because, and we'll get into it, this line, as Ben said on the last show, is booty cheeks. Booty cheeks. The, the other guys here, and the other problem here as well, Jake Elliott is dealing with an illness. Alshon Jeffrey dealing with an illness. Is there an illness going around the locker room that I don't know about? Because that doesn't seem optimal coming into this game. Yeah. Foles mania. That's what's going around the locker room. <laughs> Please tell me you've seen the shrine. Do you see the shrine? Or was it Chris Long that did that? Yes. Chris Long has up in his locker Nick Foles' book. A few of those uh, those candles with, with like icons on them that are like very popular, I think, in like like uh, like South American and like Latin American Christianity. A few more votives. And then he also has, which is my favorite, a picture of Nick Foles in Rams gear. And it's actually the uniforms the Rams were wearing against the Eagles last week, but it's a picture of Foles from his time with the Rams, which Foles didn't do jack when he was with the Rams. <laughs> so I don't know if it's one, to mock the Rams because Foles just beat them, or two, which I kind of hope it is, a an ironic comment on the fact that Nick Foles literally has never been Jack outside of the city of Philadelphia. And so he just has Nick Foles up there. And it's up in his locker and Fletcher Cox lit the candles. And I think it's the most adorable thing in the world. That is amazing. Foles mania is taking hold. It's making some people sick, but it's also making some people really inspired. And I think that's a uh, yep. good microcosm, a good, good analogy there. So limited participation. Timmy Jernigan, Cameron Johnston with the back still. And then cornerback Cravon LeBlanc. With the hamstring, full participation was Nooski with a thumb. Ertz moves up to full participation with that ankle. Jordan Hicks, yes. Full participant, baby. Full participation. We'll talk about that in a second. This Houston Texans injury report. A lot of names, again, on the limited participation. Uh, Lamar Miller with the ankle, as we talked about, is going to be a big deal. I would expect DeAndre Hopkins with that ankle to play. Uh, they're also dealing with a yep. banged-up Zach Fulton, uh, the guard who is not very good. Nose tackle Brandon Dunn dealing with an ankle. Full participation. Listen, he's their best guard. <laughs> I don't know who their best offensive lineman, but we're going to talk about that. Wait, Fulton is 73? Fulton is 63, 73. 73, yes. Yeah, Fulton 73. Never mind. I, re I recant my best guard statement. <laughs> More on that later. Now, let's dial back to the Jordan Hicks part of this. And I went back through some charting and found that the Eagles respond to 12 personnel with their base package a good deal of the time. So three linebacker sets, good portion of the time. Uh, of course, it relies heavily on game situation, down and distance, that sort of thing. Uh, they still used big nickel with three safeties and their regular nickel package against it. But you see a lot of base and you're going to see it against this Texans team. Now, why is that? It's because the Texans run 12 personnel 37% of the time, it's highest in the league, higher than the Eagles. Now, just to check, because we talk about a good deal during this stage of the season, it's important to verify that these trends are still holding. So you look at the past three weeks, the Texans still by 2% yeah. more than the Eagles lead the league in 12 personnel usage at 41%. So their utilization of those two tight end sets has actually seen an uptick. And if you haven't connected the dots yet, the Texans run 12 a lot. The Eagles respond with base a lot getting Jordan Hicks back 
means mm-hmm. that you reinforce your base package with a player that, in my opinion, has been the best linebacker on the team this year. He's been their best against the run, the best against the pass, and matches up favorably with these three tight ends in coverage, and the Texans use a mix of it. There's, they've got two rookies, third-rounder Jordan Akins, sixth-rounder Jordan Thomas, and the veteran Ryan Griffin, and the Texans will use all three. So getting Jordan hits back means that less snaps for probably Nate Gary, even though he kind of splits with Camus, but it's been more Camus. But less snaps for Nate Gary, right. and that is a good thing, Ben. Oh, less snaps for Nate Gary's music to my ears. Listen, Hicks even makes a ton of sense in terms of responding to 12 personnel because when you watch what the Texans do out of 12, Mike, run or play action with two-man route concepts, right. and that's pretty much it. Yep. It is so heavy play action deep side. Listen, if they are in 12, especially with their two tight ends in line, anywhere between the 30s, it's play action deep. It's just it's very, very frequently. And so you prefer to have Hickson in those situations. You could go big nickel if you wanted to, but I don't really think you need a safety covering a line, uh, a tight end, even with Akins and Thomas, both of whom are wide receiver types. They're a bit a bit smaller, a bit thinner. They're, they're quicker guys. I still think you'd be fine with Hicks, especially because they often leave them into block on these hard play action rollouts with these boots and Watson will be under center and it's, it's a big hard play action. And then it'll be a, a deep post or a deep go and then a deep breaking route either deep dig or a deep over something like that so you especially want to see hicks i think against 12 personnel because it will be run and then you obviously want the size of hicks and the run stopping ability and i think against the pass you will be protected because they're only going to be coming out with two three-man route concepts so hicks is going to be fine in that regard yeah the 12 personnel from the texans to me is shocking (laughs) when well i'll put it to you this way when i saw it on the numbers i was surprised in terms of like why are they running so much out of 12 like is akins playing really well and i haven't noticed is jordan thomas like suddenly developed into this weapon it's sixth round pick no it's um they like to run play action out of it well that's 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 their play action set so yeah ben they love to use 12 personnel with those play action concepts they'll use max protect i mean a big reason why is because this offensive line if you can't protect Watson, and they haven't protected Watson, let's talk about Deshaun Watson. Oh, Deshaun Watson or the line? Are we saving the line? We're saving the line. Deshaun Watson. No, we're, we're going to do a little bit of both here. So second-year player, first-round pick. He's completing 68% of his passes, which according to next-gen stats, puts him at plus 3% in X-Comp, just below Carson Wentz, and also in the top 10. But people told me Carson Wentz was inaccurate all year. I don't necessarily believe that. 8.4 yards per attempt is very good. 103.2 quarterback rating on the year. Now, we know he can hurt you with his legs. He is tied for fifth in first downs picked up on third down via run. But there's a double-edged sword with that. Watson tends to hold on to the ball. In fact, only Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen, yeah. both rookies, have held on to it longer than, on average, than Watson. So what does that lead to? Well, it leads to a buttload of sacks. In fact, I googled QB sacks PFR, and the first result was Deshaun Watson's pro football reference page. I'm not even lying. Bless him. (laughs) 52 sacks. One more than known sack artist Dak Prescott. Highest in the league. Uh, He's got a little bit of a fumbling problem, too, although it's not that much as of late. Now, how do you get him to hold on to the ball? What kind of sacks is he taking? Well, simply put... His offensive line is garbage, and they don't understand, and, and Watson is bad at dealing with disguises with blitzes, and so is the offensive line. But as you put it, Ben, the offensive line, again, is booty cheeks. They are 29th in pass blocking efficiency per pro football focus. They are bad, real bad. But, but again, not all the sacks are on them. It's a team effort here because I went through a good deal of those sacks, and I found that there were times where Watson got what he wanted, 
and he's just got to get rid of the ball. And it, and it's weird saying yeah. that Watson has to be more aggressive when you think of all the deep shots that he hit last year, but he's not too fond of hitting tight window throws. And as a side note, that deep ball percentage has gone way down this year. Last year, he led the league, and this is crazy, Ben, 20% of his throws in 2017 were over 20 yards. That's wild. This year, it's been nearly cut in half, which has a lot to do with Will Fuller not being around, but Watson's just got to be more aggressive in the intermediate areas hit his checkdowns more reliable, knowing that his lines is buns. So luckily for the Eagles, he hasn't. And as a result, he's taken three sacks or more in the last six games. And again, that leaves the league with 52 taken. Ben, this was an extremely long way of saying, ding, ding, Fletcher Cox, Michael Bennett, Brandon Graham, Chris Long, you can hear the dinner bell, come eat. I think that Fletcher Cox will have four sacks. <laughs> this is not a joke. I'm very serious right it's now. Realistic. I think that, Mike, these are the words. I, I told you I had a take about the right side of the line. I'm yeah. going to change my, I'm going to change my take to, I have a take about the guards. All right. <laughs> and it should not be a secret what my take about the guards is going to be. This is the worst guard pairing in the league. Yeah. It has to be. Yeah. Right? Like, like the Cardinals offensive line is probably the worst, but at least they get decent guard play. Their tackle on their center play sucks. What is Senyo Kalemide? What? What is, what who's 73 zach fulton what are they doing <laughs> there's no firstly the texans can't run power concepts right because they can't pull anybody right. because their entire offensive line is slow as buns they can't move fulton is fulton is is it, it looks like like there, there's some sort of like gravity on him or something this looks like it's freaking inception he's like just like tethered to the floor it's ridiculous they so they can't pull anybody, so they have to run zone, uh, and they can't accomplish any reach blocks whatsoever. So you have to cut back upside into zone, and they basically just need huge amounts of wash, where just like everybody gets steamrolled in one direction, and Alfred Blue and Lamar Miller just pick their nose back into a backside cut to potentially run the ball well. Yeah. I mean, the Colts and the Jets defensive lines are not that great, and they embarrassed them. Yeah. The Browns defensive line is great. And it was a nightmare for Houston to get that ball moving. Mm-hmm. Watson never had any time in the pocket. And they can't run the football. You can, the only way they run the football is if they, if they can consistently hit an interior gap quickly in terms of sometimes they trap, but it's very rare. Or if they get a backside cut on, on an inside or outside zone because they just get washed down from the backside. It's the only way they can accomplish their running game. It's pitiful. Yeah. If you get Fletcher Cox on Fulton 73 or on Calamity 64, which <laughs> the two starting guards, there is no reason he should not have, I said, four sacks. I would expect him to have at least a two-sack day. Yeah. And like that, that'll be one of his most productive sack days in a long time, and I don't really care because him, Bennett, it should be a nightmare in terms of interior pressure. Okay. They can't pass for Fulton is so bad. I, how is he starting? It's unbelievable. So the, the Deshaun Watson was kind of talking about him. The one stat that I, that I found very interesting that you didn't use, because I, I, I peeped time to throw, and that was a big deal for me. But also, Watson is bottom 10 in the league in terms of the aggressiveness ranking for next-gen stats. Correct. And aggressiveness ranking categorizes how tight into a window a quarterback is willing to throw. And Watson's bottom 10 in the league, which means he doesn't throw into tight windows very often. When he does, I would argue it's very frequently, I can read, I've got man coverage at the snap, I have... DeAndre Hopkins right. to my left and man-on-man coverage. Yeah, There's no better throw that's going to exist than this one. DeAndre Hopkins having an ungodly season. <laughs> really impressive stuff. But I think that when you come to the... I have to sneeze. Ben's got to sneeze, guys. Will he do it? Well, Will it's he like pull weird. It off? It's like... 
Stop it. He's trying to look at the light to stop it. Stop it. It's still coming. Okay. No. He's good, guys. I'm fine. He's good. Ben's good. So when it comes to aggressiveness and Sean Watson, I think the reason you see a very high time to throw, and I think a lot of the reason why you see a very high sack percentage is because Watson triggers on his first read often, but when it doesn't uncover immediately and when he has to kind of throw him open, he will panic off of him. And I'm very interested. I did not listen to the QB Sco show yet. It's a very busy life I lead. I haven't listened to the QB Sco show yet. So I don't know Mark's take, but Mark was a much bigger fan than I was of Watson coming out of college. And my number one complaint with Watson was I found him to be a little bit too much of a first read panic sort of a guy. And I think you still see that in Houston in terms of if he, he loves to go to his first read. Every quarterback does. It's totally fine. When it is covered, I think there's a lot of panic in Watson. Makes sense, Mike, when your guard is frequently getting placed in your lap within two seconds of the snap. I do not dispute that whatsoever. But the point being, Watson's next step is going to be throwing open his first read when he has a man coverage. And there is a window, but it's not super wide open. I think you see that in his low aggressiveness. Also, his low aggressiveness is going to get skewed a little bit because mobile quarterbacks tend to throw into more open windows because when they create, very often you're on the run and that's where you're going to open up some windows. So there's some skewed numbers there. But still, I think you see frequently on Watson's tape an unwillingness to make tight window throws against man and then also against zone. Like they've got... Mesh sit. They're running slant flat. They're right. running stuff where you've got to quickly trigger, Why quick stick? release, and hit in between a window. And Watson will be afraid of making those throws at times. And I think that really limits his ability to keep the offense on schedule. When he picks up a sack and they get behind the sticks, obviously you're going to be in trouble there. They can pick up chunk plays. They do have that great, strong, deep play action game that I think is very effective for them. And obviously Watson can run it. So they can get back on the horse. But you see them get behind the sticks, I think, a little bit too often, which is a concern for them there. So that's the next step for Watson's development. What does that mean for this game? If you can lock up in tight man coverage at the line, you have the opportunity, I think, to generate a lot of heat on Deshaun Watson. Here's the problem, Mike. Number one, Schwartz doesn't even like to do that in the first place. And number two, right. personnel-wise, it's tricky. And the, and and what the Texans do, it's, it's, it's just unkind, is they'll put DeAndre Hopkins in the slot a ton. And to put like a 6'3", 215 physical freak on the outside to motion him into the slot, it's not fair. <laughs> it's like the Jadavian Clowney putting him in linebacker thing. It's just impolite. Um, so when he gets those slot reps, and very frequently when he gets slot reps when they're running snag or smash or seven flat or, or whatever in terms of like they're trying to get him onto an eight, ten step break route. Yeah. It's very tough to cover him out of the slot unless you're putting a safety over him and you're capping him. So that's the they, – they like to give him – those quick corners or those quick flag routes and those quick in-breaking dig routes when he's at the slot position and he's a nightmare to handle there. Yeah, see, I mean, for me, 78 of his targets have come on the left side of the field and outside of right. the numbers. So that's where he's going to get the bulk of his work. Now, they are going to use him there. They're going to use him on naked slots and yep. things of that nature. And he's been targeted 164 times. So you'll see him get work between the numbers too. Right. The isolated left side yeah. Hopkins thing has been a thing for as long as DeAndre Hopkins has been with the Texans. Yeah. Like, well, we're just going to leave him over there. And if you dare to play man coverage, we'll screw you. But when they work three-man route concepts, yeah. they'll work him into the slot a ton. And that's the nice thing about having Demarius Thomas is now you have another guy who's probably a more consistent outside receiver. Obviously, Fuller gives you speed. But when you had Fuller, Kiki Kuti, and DeAndre Carter, none of those guys are really providing as strong of an outside threat as Demarius Thomas does. And I think that's what gives them the freedom to move Hopkins around a little bit more, which is huge for their offense. He's fifth in yards per route run per pro football focus. And look, I don't need a bunch of fancy 
analytics and, and numbers and technique breakdowns for DeAndre Hopkins. He is very good at football. Nuke is fantastic when mm, he's yes. on. And when he's on, he's dominant. And when he's dominant, you can't cover him. And even when you can cover him, he's not covered because he can make literally every contested catch under the sun. That said, what do the Eagles need to do to limit him? Because, Ben, I'm not worried about anybody else on this Texans team. And Mark Schofield said on the QB Sco Show, if you limit Nuke and Demarius Thomas gets three touchdowns, then, I mean, you were going to lose anyway. So, so be it. Because if you don't invest the resources to stopping DeAndre Hopkins... Yeah. He would have gotten those three touchdowns anyway. So it's going to be a big test for Rasul. We talked about him lining up on the left a lot, and a lot of his targets come that way. It's going to be a mm-hmm. big test for Rasul, but it's going to be a big test for Jim Schwartz too. Let me tell you how worried I am about Rasul Douglas against DeAndre Hopkins. All right. <laughs> I'll tell you why I'm, I'm super worried about it. Because DeAndre Hopkins, like, you know, right now, if you're listening to the podcast, what is DeAndre Hopkins? You think, all right, well, he's like big, super long, huge catch radius, great jumper, right? Rasul, big, super long, good ball skills. Great, right? I think DeAndre Hopkins' greatest strength above all those other things is his ability to release the line of scrimmage. DeAndre Hopkins probably has one of the top three releases at the line in the league. So if you're going to put Rasul up against him on the line of scrimmage, Hmm. Rasul, I like him up at the line of scrimmage, but sometimes, and by sometimes I mean every time, he gets a little hasty and a little aggressive with his punches. And if Hopkins can burn him within two yards, yep. then Hopkins will have a mile of separation by 30 yards down the field. So who's now, the question is, which safety is coming over to help? Is it Avante Maddox? Okay. Is it Corey Graham? Because <clears throat> if Corey Graham, that's a touchdown. And can either of them compete with Hopkins in the air? Like Avante Maddox had a great game last week. Can he go up and yes. compete with Hopkins in the air? I mean, at this point, there's nothing sticky. the dude can't do, but no, right? It's 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 a six-inch height difference, and the arm length difference is probably close to like five, <laughs> six inches, which is crazy. And no, obviously, that's not a situation you want to be in. Do you then sit back in a deep third and play Rasul and off, and you play your traditional cover three, and you let them have underneath stuff? Probably. Yeah. You're going to have to switch things up, obviously. You're probably going to see more of what you saw against the Rams, which was a ton of cover three cloud and a ton of quarters. That's going to make a lot of sense in terms of getting those deep guys, especially when it comes to against those heavier sets, the 12 personnel that we talked about. Listen, when they're in empty, this is knockoff Bill Belichick. It's so basic. Her Burke and stuff. It's not like it's, it's, it's here's snag, here's spot, here's flat seven, here's mesh wheel, here's curls, here's slant flat, here's 1121, and here's freaking, um, a Haas. Yeah. Why juke? They yeah. run it every, every quarter, for God's sakes, right? It's not super fancy concepts, very few multi break routes. Uh, if you can maintain your spacing in spot drop zones, you should be like, okay. Uh, and then if you can pattern match well, which Philadelphia has been doing. You should be able to, to maintain in coverage. What's going to be tricky is if you're going to be playing in zone, what you're going to have to worry about is obviously the scramble aspect and the ability to create. But then also you're going to be giving Watson, I think, more freedom to just hit the first read inside of Windows. I think he's more comfortable there. Whereas you want to get a little bit more physical because you really anticipate your pass rush getting there. And so you don't need to sit back in zones. You can get aggressive up in man. Make Watson hold the ball for two seconds and hit him. Yeah. So really, it's gonna it's gonna be very interesting to see what Schwartz comes out in. If I have to guess, which obviously this is not like a huge, you know, uh, I'm not going out on a limb here. Big if revelation. I have to guess, he's gonna come out in, tra- in traditional cover three, <laughs> and he's gonna give up some short yardage area. But when he's able to get that quick coverage uh, in the flats, when he's able to maintain, you know. Uh, uh, get a pass break up against a curl route or a comeback route, those routes that really hurt Philadelphia's corners in their cover three, 
Watson's going to get hit a lot. Yeah. Even if he's getting the ball out, Watson's going to get hit a ton. Yeah. Uh, and that obviously wears on a quarterback, especially by week 16. Uh, and so that's going to be an advantage. We said on the on the offensive show, or at least I said that like to me, like this isn't so much about the Eagles offense as like the Eagles defense. He's to have a big day. If the Eagles corners, if there was a game to turn in, just a solid performance from Rasul Douglas, a solid performance from Avante Maddox, this would be the one. Because your pass rush has the opportunity, I think, unlike, like, in a way they, they uh, haven't necessarily been able to yet this year, has the opportunity to really just take over this football game if they get hot and if they have enough time to get there. Right. Right? I mean, Fletcher Cox, Michael Bennett, second and the third in the league in QB hits right now. They're getting so close every time. You know what a QB hit means? The ball was out of his hands. So if you can get that extra tenth, two-tenths of a second, yeah, we're changing that into pressures into potential turnovers, uh, into sacks. And so I, I love that QB hits stat. It makes me very happy to see them getting there. It's just a matter of you need an extra tenth, two-tenths of a second to change those into more impactful plays. Yeah, and you didn't like the guard combination of Fulton and Calamete or whatever his name is. I hated the tackle combination. I hated the whole line. I mean, let's be serious. But I hated the talk- tackle combination of Julian Davenport and Kendall Lamb might be and I, and I said this on Twitter. He's not real. He's not. He can't be real. He might be the worst right tackle that I have studied this year, almost hands down. Like, we're talking like Bobby Hart level. He is bad. Eric Flowers, baby. I have four takes keys to this game, something like that. And, and the first point goes along with that. You talk about how you can keep Deshaun Watson in the pocket or how you can get there. One way you can kind of make that pocket a little less clear for him and not let him escape to his right, where he is more likely to throw to his right than he is mm-hmm. to his left. When he likes to escape, if he escapes to his right, he's still looking to throw. If he's going up the middle or he's going to the left, he's probably scrambling, right? Zone helps with that because you've got your linebackers looking into the backfield. You're not turning your back in man coverage, okay? So right. that's kind of what you can do there, and you can have Jordan Keyes kind of key on him. You're not really worried about the tight ends too much. The only time you're really worried about the inside is when DeAndre Hopkins kicks in is that Haas concept, which is, Hitch outside, slot seam. So you get the outside guy on the hitch, slot guy takes the seam. Anyway, multi-level rushes for the Eagles. You're going to get Brandon Graham on a bull rush a ton against this dude, Kendall Lamb. And he is going to push that dude straight back. So not a speed rush where you create that pocket, right? You know what I mean? That that, that window. And then you're going to get Chris Long on the speed rush from the other side. So if there is going Mm -hmm. to be an escape route, it's going to be to the left. But you're getting the multi-level to where he can't step up in the pocket with Fletcher Cox pushing dude back into right. his face. Let me ask you this. How often are you stunting your lineman in this game? I mean, I'm kind of doing it the way I would have done it against Dak, which was to show him a window and then take it away because I think he can be very mm-hmm. influenced by that. So I, I don't think it's up or down. I think it's a regular use and I'm using Michael Bennett. I'm telling Bennett, hey, when you're stunting, eyes on Watson kind of thing. Right. And that's the thing is when you run tackle tackle stunts, very often what you can get in those situations is a guy who ends up acting like a spy. Right. Your first crasher, right, is going to come in and he's going to initially generate penetration. Your looper is going to come through the open area. And then that crasher kind of has the opportunity to sit back because often he's tried to draw a double team. So he's not really part of the active pass rush anymore. But yeah, I wouldn't be stunting very often because I would want to maintain rush lane integrity in a very, very big way uh, because you want to know that you have good spacing. My secondary question to you then is, how often are you blitzing? I would really like to blitz Watson because he can be confused by this guy's blitzes. I don't think that's the Eagles' forte. Right. If you saw against Cleveland. Oh, yeah. Cleveland 
was clear. Okay, and, and I and I don't. I'm not interested in in being a big fan of Greg Williams, but here I am. I love what Greg Williams did against against Deshaun Watson in the sense that every single clear passing down, it was like, hey, guess what? All eight of these players might do. <laughs> Yeah, they might come. He had a lot of guys up at the line. He had a lot of interior rushers as well. I loved how much he loaded up the interior because it forced one-on-one situations with the guards, and the guards suck. Uh, But the one thing that you also saw, and the Jets did this with a lot of success, I saw it a little bit on other film as well, Colts both times that, 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 that they played them, they'll blitz the nickel in shotgun from the backside, mm. right? Especially if it's a two wide receiver set because Houston will package a zone read look, right? So the backside, obviously the quarterback's going to open to the backside. They'll package a zone read look with a bubble screen to that side. And so they'll send the nickel and get right up in Watson's face and force him to make a decision at the mesh point. Yeah. It allows your defensive end to crash and to play hot into the uh, unblocked zone read, right? And then when you rotate the safety down, if they're going for the bubble, Watson reads the nickel blitz. He throws that. That safety is already coming down, screaming down. Nobody's blocking him because he's rotating down. Now, on the backside, that means you have to rotate to single high with your other safety, and you're going to be in pure man coverage with that backside receiver. That backside receiver is often DeAndre Hopkins. So (laughs) you got to get there, right? It's got to be a thing. But nickel blitzes, especially in the Jets game, but you saw it everywhere else. Uh, Defensive back blitzing off, uh, off of nasty slot alignments. Watson rarely keyed on it and was very effective handling when they ran read option and they run arc read option and they motion DeAndre Carter in there and they do orbit motion and they do reverse motion and they're out here with a freaking pistol and an H back and just doing a bunch of college nonsense. You send that nickel, you send that overhang and now that nickel is no longer in conflict. He has one job Mm -hmm. and that kind of ruins the way that that potential read option could be putting that player into conflict. And so I want to see nickel blitz, which is not something we see a ton. But what we always talk about blitzing, when you have bad players, protect them by blitzing. Uh. Cravon LeBlanc, playing well, not the greatest cover man in the world. Want to protect him? Blitz him. Uh. And then get get somebody else over there in coverage, rotate the coverage. One of the notes I had that I was worried about was the read option with the arc block. So that's a good point because I think in the beginning of the Jets game, he ripped that off for 24 yards. Right. You want to talk about arc read option and kind of what that looks like? Yeah. So you've got your typical read option and, you know, obviously the quarterback is going to be reading off of the defensive end and what his action is. So if the defensive end who was unblocked comes crashing in, then Deshaun Watson would keep it. Now, sometimes defenses counter by having that defensive end crash in and then the linebacker behind him scrapes over. So they exchange gaps. So it kind of messes with the read of the quarterback. Now, what the arc block does is it allows the quarterback to keep that read option with the defensive end crashing in. And if there's a linebacker scraping over top, you've got a tight end coming from the other side of the formation or maybe even in the backfield shooting Like a split zone to, style of look. Right. To, to pick him up like a split zone type of look to come pick him up. So that's one of the things that I'm worried about with Watson. Now, some of my other takes, and it kind of plays into what we're talking about here. I think the linebackers should play, and you mentioned this, you kind of alluded to this before, should play like they did against the Rams. Don't worry about the play action because they're going to run a ton of play action. Get to your zone and make sure that those second and third level zones are tighter. Those guards aren't even getting to you if they're climbing to the second level anyway, all right? It's going right. to take them a year. <laughs> so you could confirm the balls in Lamar Miller's hands. Right. You could ask Jimbo what he thinks you should do from the sideline. You should talk with your buddies and come with a plan of action. And by then... Fletcher Cox have a tackle for loss. 73. I always forget 73's name. Freaking Fulton. Fulton. 
Zach Fulton. By then, he'll be in position to block you. So really, you could, you know, no reason to play hot and play action. Your defensive line is going to be generating enough disruption as it is. Sorry, continue. Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's not many routes to distract him either. So keep that second to third level, that zone, keep that tight like you did against the Rams and play some off coverage if you need to. Make life hard on Deshaun Watson with his reads. That said, if Watson, and people are worried about this because they say, oh, Jimbo struggles against scrambling quarterbacks. Well, a lot of teams do. But Watson, if he is the leading rusher for this game, the Eagles win yep. by two scores. I am much more worried about Watson escaping the pocket throwing Correct. than I am about Watson escaping the pocket and running. And that's why I want him moving left yeah. and not right. Okay. Well, I mean, when they go heavy, they put him on the right. They put their extra tight ends. They very often line him up on the right side of the formation. And so you're going to have to send extra men from that side. Which is, I mean, that's what if you're going to if you're going to protect with seven, then we can bring an extra guy and have him kind of protect against that that boot. And hey, and then bring the nickel from the weak side. Sorry, continue. You know who's very good at getting to that play action boot and not really falling for it is Brandon Graham, Michael Bennett when they're out on that side. Yeah, they're not falling for oh, that. Oh man, Malcolm outside. Jenkins as a weak side slot. If you're if you're comfortable with not putting Malk over the tight ends because you're not worried about them, yeah. and you put him weak side and you let him play in pursuit and then read boot action, you're gonna get that. two sacks that way. So uh, the the last point here for the Texans before we kind of get into predictions, their best offense is a good defense. So the key for the Eagles limiting this Texans offense is by playing good offense, playing good special teams, and getting themselves in advantageous field position. Special teams. Say the stat. Say the stat. Yeah. The Texans. They are third in the league for best average starting position. Which, reminder, they're first in the league for starting field position against as well. Correct. Now, on touchdown drives, the Houston Texans have required the best starting field position in the league. Their touchdown drives start on average from their own 41-yard line. That's four yards higher than the next teams under them in that ranking. Which is crazy big. Four yards is huge. Yeah, it's massive. Starting from your own 41 for your average touchdown drive, that's crazy. Because we were were watching the game and we were like – I was thinking the whole time and I'm going through the film – and I'm like, this offense really isn't that all that impressive. And I look at the scoreboard and it's like, they got 24, they got 21. And I'm like, what is happening? And then you look up the average starting field position. You're like, oh, whoa, okay. And when they're able to start in that area, they can open up first and 10 with play action deep. With shots. And then all of a sudden one play, yep. right, a shot play, you've got momentum and you're already in field goal position, opens up your offense completely. Puts the defense on their heels, right? So this this goes back to... What did Nick Foles do well against the Rams? He didn't put the Eagles in bad situations. He didn't do a ton of good stuff, but he avoided bad stuff. Turnovers against the Texans going to get you screwed. Going to get you killed right away. Let them play with a lead. Let them play ahead. Let that defense play with its ears pinned back. Problem. You can't turn the ball over. And we, I mean, we saw what scoring did for the Eagles. We, we said this on the other right. show again, against the Rams. Against the Rams, they had the best average starting field position that week, and that leads two points. I mean, that's what we've been talking about with this defense all year long is they were not setting up their offense for success. The Houston Texans defense sets up the Houston Texans offense for success. Listen, Eagles have been plus turnover differential in the last two games, yeah. which feel like the only two games the entire season has happened. <laughs> Let's make it three, baby. Let's keep the streak alive. Oh, man, winning the turnover differential would be massive for this game because of how reliant the Texans are on good field position for their offense and good field position for their defense. Yeah, and it's not just an obvious thing like, oh, you got to win the turnover battle to win the game. No, you can neuter this Texans offense by putting yeah, them yeah, back yeah. in bad field position. That's an absolute fact. So, Mike, you know how I feel about good special teams talk. Very excited we got to do this. Third phase of the game, man. Absolutely. We cover it every week in detail. That's what every we do. Every week, right. It's our third show every week. <laughs> where we do the offense, the defense, then we preview the special teams. 
listened. What? You haven't listened? <laughs> it's on a totally different feed, man. So <laughs> we got the line here is over under is at 46, which is about the same. Now, there is a push, as we said there would be, towards the Texans here. It was at two and a half the last time we spoke. It is now at one yeah. and a half. Uh, for the Eagles as favorites, I expect that line to continue to move slightly as we get through this process. It'd be fun if this game ended as a pick like just objectively speaking. I, I would not be surprised. I think a lot of the sharp money is going to go to the Texans here. I mean, again, 91 of the last 10 games. We're not talking about a, a bad team here, and they're, they're super consistent, even if they do have their weaknesses. So let's talk about it. Let's, again, uh, just for rounding's sake and all that stuff, let's put the score at 24 to 22. Ben, first question. Do the Eagles defense hold the Texans offense to under 22 points at home? I mean, it's easy to give away my prediction, but no, I don't think they do. Really? I mean, so I... Jim Schwartz hater never believed. I believed in Jim Schwartz this whole season. How dare you, (laughs) number one? Because that is a gross misrepresentation of how we've been on the podcast. That's true. I am worried about... DeAndre Hopkins in a game that's really huge for the Houston Texans who it's important to know are like still fighting for a good amount of stuff in terms of playoff seating and their division so on and so forth I'm worried about DeAndre Hopkins completely taking this game over in terms of if I'm the Texans I'm watching the Eagles lose a game to the Cowboys they should have won because the Cowboys just fed Amari Cooper and then I'm looking at the, the Eagles beat a Rams team they shouldn't have beaten because the Rams were unwilling to just go one-on-one matchups with like Brandon Cooks. They were just like so reliant on Josh Reynolds and so reliant on checkdowns, so reliant on like, you know, kind of like scheme ideas like we talked about where, I mean, I, this is a 15 target game for DeAndre Hopkins to me. Right. So that that's that's my big concern. I'm not I, I, like, obviously, if you're doing the math, I will. I'm going to be picking against the Eagles on this game. I think it's going to be. I was going to let you work there. I think it's going to be like. Uh, like, you know, like 24-19, the Eagles, like, miss a two-point conversion or whatever. But I think it's going to be about a four- or five-point game. I think the Texans win. Uh, I think the Texans win. I think it's close for four quarters. But I'd love to believe in this Eagles team. This is the game that would make me fully believe in them. Right. So I'll, I'll, be, I'll, be, sold, I'll be sold on Monday. But uh, as of as of Friday, I'm not sold yet. So 24-19, Houston is my pick. I think I felt worse about this game before I watched this Texans offensive line. And I said to myself, this Eagles defensive line can absolutely dominate anything right anything less just i i I would have to see it with my own eyes to believe that fletcher and it's and it's and it's at home and the eagles defense tends to be much stronger in games where Foles is playing yeah which probably has something to do with turnovers and also has probably stuff to do with like generally stepping it up and what have you it's just you have to be able to trust this eagles offense to not turn the ball over And you need to trust them to put their defense in good situations as well, which is tricky. But I'm going to say that they just, I mean, do the Bill Bill Belichick thing. Throw a ton of resources at DeAndre Hopkins. Let him beat you in other ways and let the pass rush and get there and shut down the run. Lamar Miller should be limited with the high ankle sprain. If Jim Schwartz actually like dedicates Bill Belichick-esque resources to DeAndre Hopkins, I will buy a Jim Schwartz jersey. I mean, he did it in a way against Odell Beckham Jr. And they're very two similar wide receivers. As far as talent-wise goes, I think Hopkins is a little bit better. Comfortably say that Hopkins right now is playing better than OBJ. I agree. Right OB, did OBJ even make the Pro Bowl? Because Eli is terrible and that bad. I think he kept Mike, him out of the Pro if Bowl. you think I spent a single second looking at who actually made the Pro Bowl, you got another thing coming. That's why I don't know either. I'd love to see it. Listen, when Rasul locks up Hopkins, I will be the first guy to retweet my Rasul pieces where I've been like, no, he's actually good. But here on the podcast, uh, I'm here to tell you I don't think it's going to happen. That's a fun conversation to have for the offseason because now that Rasul Douglas has had this stretch of games and he's going to see like someone like DeAndre Hopkins 
we can right. really put a full evaluation together for Rasul Douglas like we haven't been able to before as a pro and then compare him to Jalen Mills and see, well, which one, you know, is what I rank higher. Where, where Where is the future at with that position? But that's a whole different discussion for the offseason. I just think it's super interesting that we finally get to see Sewell in meaningful play against really good talent. Sound like somebody who read my piece on Sewell and Sidney Jones before the Cowboys game. I don't think that's I That's what I wrote about. I missed that. That's an interesting No, it's piece. okay. I got it out like the day before. It was fine. Oh, okay. Okay. We're Saturday pieces, man. I'm watching college football. Yep. Anyway, what are, you, uh, what are you picking? You got the Eagles in this one? I'm going to take the under overall, and I'm going to say it's an ugly game. I think it's 17-14 Eagles. Right. Boom. I'll put it to you this way. I don't think it's going to be an ugly game because, A, both teams have something to fight for, and, B, I think there is a chance, given what I've seen from both teams, there's a chance that either one of these teams could come out and really dominate this game. Like, I'm not positive it's going to be close. Like, I anticipate it. That's what I expect, obviously. And that's what Vegas oddsmakers expect. But I could very easily see a reality where the Eagles come out super hot, take this game over, and never give it up. And I could see a reality where the Texans do the exact same thing because of what's on the line for these teams and because of the way they performed in recent weeks. So it's going to be a fun one. I definitely, this is a game where, uh, there's other games where I felt like I've known what's going to go down. And typically I haven't because this season's been really been really wild. This game could go a lot of different ways. Yeah. It's going to be fun. Ben, I think that does it for our preview show. Ben hates the Eagles, does not believe in Foles' magic. He picked against them. We'll see if he's right. Oy. And if he is, we don't want to hear I told you so because that would be in poor mm-hmm. form, Ben. Ben, would you say goodbye to the gentle listeners? Thank you, as always, for listening to the Kiss and Solak Show here on Bleeding Green Nation Radio. We do appreciate you swinging by. Uh, if you have missed any of the previous episodes this week, Houston Texans, defense preview against the Eagles offense and the Bleeding Green Nation show with uh, BLG and John Stolness is up in the feed. Make sure you go listen to those as well so you are fully prepared for the show and follow everything that uh, drops on BleedingGreenNation.com as we produce more articles and more injury updates as we get closer to the game. Rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Hang out with us on Twitter. We have had a ton of awesome talking with people and jokes and fun and it's been great. And mostly it's at my expense, but I, I'll suck it up because it's funny. I have a good time. So we appreciate you as always hitting us up on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. He's on Michael Kist. He's on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. Texans game is either the season or it's not. So we're, we're going to break it all down for you Sunday after the game. Make sure you catch that podcast late Sunday night or early Monday morning. Uh, it's going to be a fun one. So make sure you watch it. Make sure you have a good time. Make sure you review our podcast. We love you. Goodbye. We all we got. We all we need. Review the podcast. Fly, Eagles, fly. Hey, guys, this is John Stolness from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.